So we are in the last week of this series, last part of this series called Last Arrow. And I read this story the other day that I loved. I thought it was the best way just to get us started. It's about a lady named Diana Nyad. And when Diana Nyad was nine years old, she stood on a beach, Fort Lauderdale, and asked her mom a really innocent question. She asked her mom, she said, Mom, where's Cuba? And her mom pointed to the horizon and said, it's, it's right over there. You, you can't really see it, but you could, you, could, you could probably swim there. And 20 years later, Diana Nyad would attempt to do just that. She swam 78 miles in 42 hours, but strong winds stopped her short of her goal. And, and, and the dream of becoming the first person to swim the, Florida, the Straits of Florida would be delayed for more than three decades at the age of, of 60, Diana figured that it was now or, or never. And so her second attempt to swim from Cuba to Florida fell short because of an asthma attack. Her third attempt failed because she was stung by a Portuguese man of war. Her fourth attempt ended with nine jellyfish stings. And then on the morning of August 31st, 2013, a 64-year-old Diana Nyet would make one last attempt And in 53 hours and 110 miles later, Diana Nyad swam ashore in in Key West. Now, here's the question. Why would a 64-year-old woman who had failed four times in 40 years try again? And the shortest answer, there's multiple answers, but the shortest answer that I could give you this morning is, is destiny, destiny. On Diana's fifth birthday, her her father, Aristotle Nyad, called her into the living room and said to her, I have been waiting so very long for this day. Now, Diana, you are five. And today is the day that you are ready to understand the most significant thing that I will ever tell you. Aristotle opened up an unabridged dictionary and he pointed to her name, Nyad, and he said, Tomorrow, you will go to your little preschool, and you will ask your little friends if their names are in the dictionary, and they will tell you no. You are the only one. You are the special one. Then Aristotle pointed to the page and said, your name is Nyad. First definition is from Greek mythology, the nymphs that swam in the lakes and the oceans and the rivers and the fountains to protect the waters for the gods. But he said, listen to me, darling, because this is the most important part. Next definition, a girl or woman champion swimmer. Darling, he said, this is your destiny. I love that. Nyad's story is the perfect start to the last week of our series, Last Arrow. And for the the last four weeks, we've been talking about defining moments and urgency defining moments and urgency, how to live like life depends on it, because it does, because it does. We want to live life to the fullest. We, we want to live life like Jesus said we could, maxed out to the full. That's what we want. But that's never going to accidentally happen. You never accidentally end up with life to the fullest. It requires Complete commitment. It requires that you go all in. It requires that you hold nothing back, that you give up up whatever that part of your life is that you have been holding on to, afraid to let go of. 
And each week during this series, we've made a statement about commitment. And the statement is this, is that I'll never be completely free until I'm completely committed. I'll never be completely free until I'm completely committed. We could say I'll never be completely satisfied until I'm completely committed. We could say I'll never feel completely alive until I am completely committed. And if you're here today and you would say, Jason, I would be willing to do almost anything in order to feel that freedom, feel alive. The good news is you're almost there. If you're willing to do almost anything. But whatever it is that you're afraid to let go of, or step away from, that's what's holding you back from living like life depends on it. So let me start this last week by making a really, really obvious statement. It's going to be deep. You may want to get a pen out and write this down. You may want to put this in your phone. Here we go. It's deep. Are you ready? Here we go. You'll never be who you want to be if you don't know who you want to be. It's deep. I told you it was deep. I mean, we're just keeping... Keeping the cookies on the bottom shelf today. All right, here we go. You'll never be who you want to be if you don't know who you want to be. What about this one? You'll never get what you want if you don't know what you want. I mean, you'll, you'll never get what you want if you don't know what you want. What about this one? You'll never get where you want to go if you don't know where you want to go. So you're picking it up. You'll never be who you want to be if you don't know who you want to be. You'll never get what you want if you don't know what you want. You'll never get where you want to go if you don't know where you want to go. Should we just pray and go home? Was that enough sermon for today? You got it? No, okay. I got to have a little more time. Okay. The last few weeks, we have been reading these obscure stories in the Old Testament section of the Bible about these two guys. One guy is named Elijah. The other guy is named Elisha. They were two prophets. And what a prophet means is that they were selected by God, hand-picked by God to speak on his behalf. So God would speak to them and they would speak to the people, but also God used them to do these incredible miracles, and they did some incredible miracles. And we've been, we've been looking at that. And so today, we are going to read the story of the last time that Elijah and Elisha are together. This will be the last time that they're ever together because Elijah, who was first, he, he was the first prophet, his time's coming to an end. His time's almost up. And so Elisha, second guy, is going to be taking over as the New prophet, if you will. And so Elijah's time is coming to an end. Elisha's time is about to begin. And this is going to be the the, the story of the transfer of power. And today's story is going to teach us that so much of destiny is about determination. So much of your destiny is about your determination. It's going to teach us that so much of purpose is about persistence. And here's a guarantee that I can make to everyone in the room today. All along your life, you are going to have many opportunities to settle, to quit, to decide to stay where you are. And when those moments come, you will be able to think of a hundred really legitimate good reasons why you should settle, why you should quit, why you should stay where you are. 
They won't even be far-fetched. Like, they will feel legitimate. It's like when I'm running in my neighborhood, and if I turn left, I go back by my house, and if I go right, I go away from my house, and I can always think of 10 good reasons to turn left and go by the house and then stop, right? Here's what will happen when you come to those moments in life when you can think of good reasons to stop. People who love you and care about you and who really do want what's best for you will recommend that you settle and that you stop and that you quit. And they're the ones who love you because it's always easier to quit than to keep going. And people don't settle because they don't want more in life. People settle because they don't want to endure anymore in life. But Jesus' brother James made a really peculiar statement in the book, in his book in the Bible. He wrote a book uh, in the Bible, and this is what he said. This is in James 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. You don't have to find it. It'll be up on the screen for you, but this is what James said. James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested... Your endurance, everybody say endurance, has a chance to grow. It's not, it's not guaranteed to grow, but it does have a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. You know, sometimes we're in such a hurry to get out of tough spots that we don't ever really get anything out of them. You know what I mean? That, that, that sometimes we, we would rather be done with whatever we're going through or experiencing than let our endurance grow. But James says that it's when your endurance is developed that something special begins to happen in your life because destiny has a lot to do with determination and purpose has a lot to do with persistence. Now, I am not a big fan of talking about test-taking because I was a terrible test taker. Anybody in the room like me growing up, you hated tests. You were a terrible test taker. Anybody in the room? About seven of us. We hate the rest of you. We don't love you. We don't like you. Um, just, I mean, just terrible test, test taker and a master daydreamer, though. That, really good at that. Um, really good at that. Uh, and and I, was, I was just a terrible test taker. And um, I read this little story, this little research the other day that I thought was so, um, so perfect. It, it, was, it said that in standardized math tests, Japanese children consistently score higher than American children. I think most of us probably knew that. And while some people assume that Japanese kids have a natural proclivity toward mathematics, researchers have discovered that it may have more to do with effort than ability. So they did a study involving first graders, and students were giving a, given a difficult puzzle to solve, And the researchers weren't interested in whether or not they solved it. They were interested in seeing how long they would try before they gave up. And the American children lasted on average 9.47 minutes. The Japanese children lasted 13.93 minutes. In other words, the Japanese children tried about 40% longer. And researchers came to the conclusion that the difference in math scores has less to do with an intelligence quotient and more to do with a persistence, persistent quotient. That Japanese first graders simply tried harder, longer. What's my point? My, my point is that you need a compelling reason, a dream, a purpose that will keep you going 
when you want to stop because you will want to stop. Five times today, you will want to stop. And if you don't have a compelling reason, dream, purpose, prayer to keep you going, you will stop. You need a calling, a prayer request, or a mission so significant that quitting isn't an option because destiny is a lot about determination. So that brings us to our story today, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going we're gonna to start at the very beginning. It's, it's the Old Testament. There's a 1 Kings, there's a 2 Kings. Towards the beginning, uh, first third of the book, if you will, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1. And then we're going to read for a little while. I'll go to verse 14. It'll be up on the screen for you uh, if you want to follow along there, or you can read along with what you got. Okay, here we go. So in verse 1, it says, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah, that's the first guy, first prophet, up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, second guy, were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha, second guy, replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel, came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Not sure what that's about. Then Elijah said to Elisha, second guy, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, you and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha, same thing, and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, second guy, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. So now three times, Elisha has had a chance to stop, not because he's being lazy, but because his teacher, master, mentor said, hey, why don't you stop right here? And Elisha says, I'm not stopping. I'm staying with you. Three times he could have quit, but he didn't. So let's keep going. Um, So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, this is nuts, and the two of them went across on dry land. So he takes off his jacket and he just smacks the water and the water splits and he walks across. This is like a real thing that happened. I don't know about you, but I would love to experience some spiritually climactic moments like that one right there. I mean, would that not be ridiculous to just see? Like, can you imagine, like, being with somebody and the car runs out of gas and there's no gas in the car and they're like, hold on one second. And they just go put their hands on the side of the car and they're like, God, we need gas and it cranks up. You know what I mean? Some of y'all fill up at half a tank, but then the rest of us, we we know what that's like. Um, um, Can you imagine being with someone who who got injured in some way and you said, hey, let's just pray about that and they were instantly healed. Don't even go to the doctor. It's just immediately better. Like some of these spiritually ridiculous, amazing moments. That's what's happening right here. So how does that happen? How could we be a part of something that is amazing or incredible or how could we maybe feel more 
spiritually alive like we read in this story? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question, but one of the answers to that question is that if you want to experience those types of things, you have to put yourself around people who experience those types of things. I told you it was deep today. That that if you want to experience these types of moments, you've got to put yourself around people who experience these types of moments. People filled with faith. People creative and courageous enough to think about it. If you and I were going on this trip together and we had come to the Jordan River, we would have said, let's make a boat. Or if you'd have been with me, you'd have said, you know, let's go home. Let's just turn around and go and go home. Not Elijah. Because Elijah, first guy, was used to seeing God do miraculous, incredible things. So when he came up against an adverse situation, his thought was not to quit. His thought was, let's see what God can do. Because he knew God in a way that Elisha did not know God. And there are people who know God and have experienced God and are experiencing God in ways that you aren't and don't. And if you would figure out a way to put yourself around them, you would begin to experience some of the things that they experienced. Elijah had more faith than Elisha, knew God in a different way. So when Elijah hits the water, this is not really a big deal for Elijah, but Elisha is like, whoa, right? Huge deal for him. We see this model all throughout the Bible that you take someone who needs to learn, who needs to grow, who needs their faith and their imagination and their creativity to be expanded, and you put them with somebody who is there and is growing. When the disciples wanted to learn how to pray, they went to Jesus. They didn't read a book or listen to a podcast. They went to Jesus, who they'd been following around for three years, and said, will you teach us how to pray? Paul took Timothy on journeys with him. Just to give you a little insight into how cool I was as a teenager, when I was like 16, I fell in love with Jesus. And for spring break, I went and sat in my youth pastor's office all day and just asked him questions about the Bible, because that's how cool I was back then. And um, obviously much cooler now. But I, I, that, that's what I did. And I learned so much in those moments. But I just wanted to be around him. What does this mean? What does this mean? How, I just wanted to soak it all, soak it all in. And so... We know, and maybe you're here today and you would say, Jason, I I struggle with prayer or studying the Bible or having faith or trusting God or whatever it is. Well, the best way to learn how to pray is to find someone who knows how to pray and pray with them. The best way to learn how to study the Bible is to find someone who knows how to study the Bible and study with them. It's It's the best way. You want to be a better husband? Find a great husband and eat breakfast with them as much as possible. If you're engaged and you want a great marriage, find a couple with a great marriage and eat dinner at their dinner table as much as possible. It's the best way. It's the best way. Great habits, great faith, and great disciplines are caught more than they're taught. Now, here's the tricky part. If you always want to be around, sometimes you can be a little annoying, okay? And so that gets a little tricky because there is this sometimes this desire to be around, to learn, to soak up. But if what you want is for someone to always help you, but you don't ever offer anything to the relationship, it doesn't really work. It gets a little bit annoying sometimes. Um, Elisha served Elijah. The Bible says that he washed his hands, which is crazy. 
we don't need to necessarily do that, but, but he served him. And in return, while serving him, he learned how to be the greatest prophet from the greatest prophet. So if you're engaged and you want to see a great family in action, offer to babysit their kids for free. Be like, hey, we'll watch your kids whenever you want. We'll just, well, well, we got some amens in the room right here, right? Wow, I didn't, that really resonated with everybody. Wow. Um, I'll come back to that at the end. Um, but listen, hey, listen, we'll watch the kids. You guys go out, and then when they get home, you know, you can spend a little time together, eat some dinner, sit around, talk, whatever it is, right? If you want, uh, if you want to ask questions about being a great dad, Help him fix his car or do landscaping or be out in the backyard. I don't know, I don't know what you do, but do it and just be around them and it'll just rub off on you. If you want to learn how to follow Jesus from someone that really knows how to follow Jesus, offer to buy them breakfast or figure out a way to be around them. Just find a way to serve them and to add value to them so you can be around them. And the more that you're around them, the more that they rub off on you. Okay? So that's where we ended this story is... Elisha is getting a front row seat. The other 50 guys watch from a distance. Elisha, front row seat, holy smokes, God can do that? That's a possibility? And his faith is being stretched. His mind is growing. And and, and so let's keep reading, all right? So when they came to the other side, they walk across this Jordan River. Elijah, first guy, said to Elisha, second guy, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. And you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. Now, it's worth pointing out that Elisha didn't know the stipulations of the deal the first three times he refused not to quit. So it's easy to kind of read this in hindsight and say, oh, well, Elisha was just not leaving because he knew that he would get what he wanted if he didn't leave. But he didn't know that the first three times. He just wasn't going to quit. But now he knows that if he is there with him when he's taken up, he'll get what he he wants, what he's requesting. So as they were walking, let's finish this up. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men separating them, and Elijah, first guy, was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. This dude was legit. Like, he didn't even die. He was just taken into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father. I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. Now, I'll be the first to admit, if you're not familiar with the Bible or church or you've never heard this story before, this story seems a little bit strange. Most of these stories have in this series because Elijah and Elisha were just like tuned into heaven and some crazy things, awesome things, but crazy things happen. And so if you've never heard this story before, you're like, wow, like chariots of fire and and cloaks and, uh, you know, it's craziness. And so I just want to try to just simplify it down to the most basic idea that we can learn 
from this today. And I think the best way to do that is to ask you just one question. I just want to ask you one question to, to take what we need to learn from this story. Here's the question. Everybody in the room, do you have a reason compelling enough to keep you going when you want to quit? Do you have a reason compelling enough? Because we're talking about living like life depends on it, living life to the full. So the question is, do you have a reason compelling enough to keep going when you want to quit? Everybody has a dream. Everybody has a hope. But not everybody has a reason compelling enough to keep going when you can think of 10 good reasons to quit. Elijah asks Elisha a question, and I believe it is a fitting question for us today. Elijah looks at Elisha and he says, what do you want? What do you want? Do you know the answer to that question? That's a great question. What do you want? In life, in your relationship with Jesus, in your family, in your parenting, in your financial life, in your career. In your friendships, what do you want? What do you want? Because you'll never get what you want if you don't know what you want. What do you want? And I believe Elijah, first guy's response, is the same too. That if you won't quit, you will get what you request. That if you won't quit, you will get what you request. Now, it would be silly for me today to try and uh, narrow down everyone's uh, desire in the room, every lane. Like, we don't have enough time to try to hit everyone. But I, I do think that there are probably some large categories in the room today where a lot of us have dreams, have desires, have hopes, but we are on the verge of quitting, or maybe we have already quit. We've stopped. We've given up. But God has something better, something greater for us. Some, some people in the room, it's a prayer. It is a specific prayer, a, a prayer request, a prayer need. Maybe it's someone that you love or care for who is sick and they need healing. And you started out with such enthusiasm and passion, praying for their healing and for God to show up. And you were sure, like five days, this thing will be sewed up. We're good. And now five months later, we're still praying. Five years later, we're still praying and your faith has leaked and you're not. You, you feel like it doesn't matter. Maybe your prayers for the salvation of someone who seems like a lost cause. It's one of the things I love about baptisms uh, that we do here is there's always a couple stories where it's like, that guy got baptized? <laughs> like. And it just gives us faith that there's no, there's no such thing as a lost cause. There's no such thing as somebody unreachable. And maybe you, a while back, were praying for someone to be saved or to come to Jesus, and they got worse, and so you stopped. Maybe it's a dream that you've been praying for that seems so big, it's silly, and you don't even say it out loud because it's that silly, it's that big, but you've stopped, you've stopped dreaming and praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. 
Get a renewed passion for prayer. Go buy you a new notepad and start a new prayer list and just write them down. Start crossing them off and God starts answering them. Keep praying. Don't quit. You need a, a prayer so compelling for your children who don't know Jesus or your husband or your wife or someone who's sick. You need a prayer so compelling that when you want to stop, you can't stop. You keep praying. Some people in the room, it's a relationship. It's a kid who wants nothing to do with you. And you have kind of reached the point where even though you love them, you don't want anything to do with them either. It's a spouse that says they don't love you or they keep acting like they don't love you. It's a marriage that is on the brink of of ending and, and nobody really knows that it's on the brink of ending, but you know it's on the brink of ending. It's, it's a friend or a family member who hurt you or won't forgive you. Hear me. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep answering the phone. Keep fighting with them if that's what it takes. Like, keep talking. Keep communicating. Keep showing up. Don't disconnect. You need a compelling reason so strong that quitting is not an option. For some of you in the room, it's about freedom. It's about freedom, straight up. So many of us in the room are, are dominated and addicted and bound by substances and, and actions that are, are, are controlling our life. For some of you in the room, it's an addiction that, that, that's a substance or something that you keep giving into. And at one time, you know, the 47th time, you can muster up enough energy to try again. But now, what's the point? You're going to fall. You're going to fail. What's the point? For for some of you in in the room, it's a secret sin that no one knows about but you. Listen to me. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't listen to the enemy who will convince you that it's just who you are. It's just the way that it is. You can be free. And for some of you, it's about faith. Some of you in the room today, I know your story is similar to my story. We hear it a lot. It's a popular story around here. You grew up in some type of religious environment. You grew up at church. You grew up at camp. Something. But either because of bad experiences or cynicism or something, you, 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 you got off. And, and so you, you ended up losing your faith. And you're here today, and you're not sure if you have the heart to, get, to, to engage with God again. For some of you in the room, the questions and the doubts in your mind are louder than the answers. You've lost heart. You don't want to get your hopes up again. Hear me. Keep believing. Keep believing. When the questions and the doubts are coming, keep believing. Have a compelling reason, a reason so compelling, a dream so compelling that quitting is not an option. You'll never be who you want to be if you don't know who you want to be. You'll never get what you want if you don't know what you want. You'll never get where you want to go 
if you don't know where you want to go. Find a compelling prayer, a reason, a dream, a person, and live like life depends on it. Because it does. Let's pray.